Welcome to the Gene Oliver Podcast, where we talk all things business, art, and lifestyle. This is your podcast for building a more creative life. I created a free resource and mini workbook just for you. 10 Tips to Take Back the Peace for a More Beautiful Life. A free ebook if you're looking for some rest in your day-to-day like I was. Go to geneoliver.com slash 10 tips to get your free resource. Creativity is calling. Become the artist you have dreamed to be. After the podcast, meet me over at geneoliver.com where you will find art, business, and lifestyle online courses. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jean Oliver, and today I'm talking with artist and author Anna Lavend. After a person graduates from our online or in-person creatively made business workshop, they're invited into the CMB Mastermind Group, where we continue to have live Q&As and guest experts and book discussions and a really strong community. And one of our recent book discussions was The Creative Doer by Anna. And it was one of those books that overwhelmingly connected with so many of us. There's a whole Mastermind Group really excited that we're talking today. So, Anna, I feel like we could have a 20-part series just with you. Your book (laughs) is needed, and it's one of those rare books where you instantly feel like someone dipped into your thoughts and pulled out your secrets. And I know I'm not alone in the underlining and the notes written in the margins of my copy. So, Anna, welcome to the podcast. Wow. Thank you. Before we dive in, will you share a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes. All right. So, um. I'm Anna. I'm living in Sweden, in rural Sweden, with my family of humans and animals. <laughs> and uh, I work right now. I run an online business, and I have done so for a number of years. But we, I think, this line of work started way back when I was in the publishing world, uh, living in the city, uh, and I worked as an editor and coached writers and 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 that whole thing had a career going and everything was looking good and i think somewhere in during that fairly short career i began to realize you know that the creative process of bringing a book from idea to completion that process is is actually pretty much the same regardless of what it is that you want to bring from idea to completion whether it's a business or it's a book or it's a painting or it's a child for that matter. You know, it starts with an idea or a desire. And then you do the work and you go through that whole sometimes difficult and sometimes beautiful process of of making it real, bringing it into form. And that, that's the same. And so I came to be, you know, more interested in that process rather than, you know, publishing and selling books, even though I, I love books and I'm a writer myself. So, but there was something about it, you know, I was hooked. And, and at the same time, I, I had this, longing to get out of the city and to live a different life and I had my first kid and you know I was longing for something else and that sort of coincided and I decided okay I'm gonna start my own business because that was the way that I could leave the city you know there aren't many jobs or at least not the kinds of jobs that I would like where I live now and so I did I started a business we left the city and then I had another baby. You know, 
anyone who has kids knows what that means, you know, less time, less energy, less of almost everything, except for maybe more mess in your house and so on. And, and there was something about this work that it, it was something that sort of itched, you know, it was a gap that I began to become aware of. There was something about, you know, who are we modeling this work on? Why is it that I constantly feel like I'm falling short in my work as an entrepreneur, as a writer, as a mother as well, sure, but I was looking at my work here and who are we comparing ourselves to? You know, I was beginning to ask those questions. Who am I as a mother of two with a million responsibilities, you know, a home to take care of, all of that? Who am I modeling my work on? Who, who, whose idea of success am I going for here? And I, I sort of began to look at the creative process differently, the creative life differently. And I realized that the, like the creative genius that we recognize in our culture, that we celebrate in our culture, that's a man. That's a man who does not have any of these responsibilities that I have and that takes up most of my days, you know. And like the paintings I see in museums, they're, they're painted by men. The stories I hear and read, they're, they're told by men. And, you know, this lack of representation, this one-sidedness to the story, it's, I mean, it's mirrored everywhere in our society. It's not just when it comes to creative work or, or entrepreneurship or, or, or anything like that. It, it's everywhere because we live in a patriarchal society and it affects us. So like, why, I began to wonder just why aren't we talking about this when we talk about creative work? Why isn't this in, in, in any of the books I've read, you know? Because it's, it matters so much. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it was like there was a gap in the conversation almost. And eventually... Exploring that gap became part of my work. I, 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 like, I continued to coach and mentor creative people and it became more and more women. And it became more and more about not just making a dream happen, but looking at what does the path from idea to dream look like for a mother, for instance, who has very little time and very limited resources in terms of energy and, and all of it. And, and in what way is that path different from, from what we've been taught and what we've seen modeled for, to us before? And so, so that's, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. You know, I'm looking at these outdated ideals and paths and exploring what a more updated path looks like for us. One that is relevant and doable for busy mothers and all the rest of us who don't recognize ourselves in those old stories, you know, that we've been told. So I still work with creative people, creative women mostly. But there is this feminist underpinning to my work that is, that is the heart of it almost. Mm-hmm. No, it is. 
Well, when I meet someone like you, that's an obvious wise and old soul, I have to know you as a child. Can you give me a glimpse into you as a young girl? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I love this question. And I was, um, maybe not surprising, I was really introverted as a child, very shy kid. My dad called me the philosopher when I was really young because I, you know, I had such a hunger for knowledge, was reading and you'd often find me completely lost in thought, very distracted and uh, started writing early and have never stopped since. But I was also outdoors a lot because we lived in in a rural place and, and I roamed our little patch of the world, you know, with a lot of freedom. I think more freedom than we, we afford kids mm -hmm. these days. And that has shaped me in so many ways as well. I was a really strong and independent kid in, in many ways, but also so vulnerable, you know, as kids are. What kids are. And my family home was, well, it was dysfunctional in many ways. Um, and it fell off fell apart before I was 10. We lost our home due to financial troubles and, you know, we kept moving on to new homes from then on. Uh, when I was 12, I'd been sexually abused by two different men, both belonging to my family at different times. And, you know, all that colored my teens. Those years were quite dark. And, you know, I remember so much happiness from my childhood and also so much darkness. And this, this has all shaped me, of course. I, you know, you know, I never trust a person who only speaks of the light. Mm. You know, the human journey is, is always both. You know, it always contains both. And that's what we have to work with. That's the wholeness of it, you know. That's what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. When did you know you could write? I mean, like, when did you know you could write and help people navigate thoughts and feelings they didn't know how to articulate? When did you know that this was one of the ways you could connect with other women and impact the world beyond your own? Yeah. Well, I think most of my life i known that I'm a writer. Like I said, I started early and I never really stopped. Well, it was during those dark years I mentioned during my teens. I, I did forget it for a while or I lost touch with it for a while. But apart from that, I've always known ever since I was a kid. And, you know, it's strange because, you know, I doubt myself in so many ways, as we do. I mean, all the ways, really, but, but not this. Not this. I know that I'm a writer. Hmm that I can express things through my words, my written words, that I could, I could never express otherwise. I know that for a fact. I can speak the truth in a way that I dare not in speaking or in, in any other way. I can be really brave. And I can bring that, you know, both the light and the, the dark, and it seems I can help others see that too. I can bring the dark in a way that doesn't scare people off. Mm -hmm. 
you tell them, you know, the whole story. And I don't find it easy to connect with other people, you know, in real life. I don't. I often feel, you know, trapped inside my head. Like I'm really different and disconnected and alone. That's been a theme always in my life. But when I write, I do connect. You know, it's like I can be everything that I am, all of it, and I can do what I'm here to do. And that is truly my heart's work. Whether I'm paid for it or not, that is it, you know, the heart of it. And I, I honestly don't know what I'd be without it. One of the many things I love about how you write about women is that you don't demolish men, um, but that you <laughs> clearly state what is no longer acceptable. There have been hollow examples of what an artist's life can look like, and maybe even subconsciously, women have struggled with that idea without realizing they are following a lie. How do you hope your book and classes, just your voice in general, help women to redefine a life of creativity and motherhood? Yeah. Well, that's a big question. Because there are so many ways I, know. <laughs> I want to, you know, redefine creativity and, and life and motherhood. But I think it's one of the things that really hit most of the people that I talked to when they read it. And it's one of the things that hit me the hardest mm -hmm. of like you said earlier, when you talked about why you do what you do, like how many people are saying, but I don't see myself in that old ideal of how right. things are going, are, are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Where do I fit in when I don't think that's how it's supposed to play out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, let's, let's look at three things because there are so many, but, but three three that come up really often and that I feel are really important. And one of them is that I want to show or point to that creativity is not separate from our lives. It's in everything that we do. It's in the birthing and the rearing of our children. <laughs> it's there more than anywhere, you know. It's in the cooking, it's in the homemaking. It's in the small and big things that we do to, to make life a little bit more beautiful. None of this is recognized as proper creative work. It's not paid. Maybe because it's so fleeting. You know, it's, it's, we create a meal and then it's gone. Hmm. Maybe because it's done by women. Probably because it's done by women. It's been made invisible. But it is creative work. And recognizing that will help us as women to be more confident in our creative power, in our creative abilities. Because we so often doubt our abilities. And I mean, no wonder because so much of the work that we've carried out have been unrecognized and undervalued and made invisible. But we can shift that narrative, you know, we can shift that view of what creative work is and start within ourselves. 
even though you know the surrounding world doesn't necessarily recognize it but we can so that's definitely one thing i want to do and another thing is i want to show women including myself <laughs> that our creative work can be carried out in the midst of our messy everyday lives mm -hmm. Because, you know, our everyday lives are messy, especially if we have children. We don't need to, we don't need those big stretches of time, you know, that we dream or, or, or that we see other people have. We don't need to escape to, you know, a cabin in the woods and, and emerge six months later with, <laughs> with a finished novel. We don't need that. I mean, it would be dreamy <laughs> but like that's not going to happen right we have so much responsibilities we are like the center of of our worlds and they contain so many different pieces we can't just step out of it right it's one of the things i think you so beautifully share is that it's the desire to have both and yeah. that um how unfortunate for all the artists that we might look at up to as being successful that are men that they actually missed out on what was so beautiful and important about their lives and so yep. when you are saying yes that's that's amazing if we got to have six months in a cabin and we come out mm -hmm. with something but then if we're waiting for that it's never going to happen because most people that are mothers uh and creatives they want both parts of, yes. of, the, of their life. Um, yes. And doing one doesn't mean they're not the other and vice versa. No, that's the thing. We've been shown and taught that life as a woman and particularly as a mother or caretaker in any capacity, that it's not compatible with creative ambition or any far-reaching ambitions, really. We've been shown that it's either or and that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. It really is. We can do both, but, you know, we need to do it differently. We're not going to follow in those steps of that, you know, male genius, because I know where that leads. I've been on that path. It leads to burnout. It leads to, you know, either rejecting the kids and going all in on the work or try to do both full on, you know, 100% here and 100% there, and then we burn out. We need to do it differently. We, it's, again, we need to find that, that new path. But it can be done. We can do both, for sure. I know that because that's, that's what I've been exploring my whole life. And I want to... Actually, this, this, this goes with, with the, that third thing I wanted to say, because I want us to question and disrupt this whole grind culture that so often leads us to burnout. Those stories about how you make dreams happen, how you reach those big goals in your life. Again, they're modeled on someone whose circumstances doesn't look like ours. We can't go all in like that. We can't do it on willpower alone. We can, but then we burn out. Mm -hmm. It's an epidemic, you know? So I want to show that different way that the depth and the brilliance of our work 
depends on the level of care that we can show ourselves, not the amount of willpower and grit, you know, that we can muster. Quite the opposite, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, a bit of willpower is good. A bit of grit in, in, in the meaning that we need resilience. But not the striving, you know. We fill ourselves up instead. We give ourselves what we need. And from there, we fill our cup so that it overflows. And from there, we create from that overflow. Instead of trying to, to, you know, use that base level fuel that we need to even sustain our own existence. No, we fill ourselves up to the point of overflow. And then we create from there. That is the key, you know, to harnessing our full creative capacity, not the pushing and striving and forcing and white knuckling it. That is truly the old story, that the patriarchal capitalist story. And it doesn't serve us. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. So let's just rewrite it. Well, so often when we don't follow the rules that society may have for us, it can make those around us uncomfortable. This can come from family, friends, strangers even, and spouses. As you rewrote how your life could look, how did you find those around you responding to it? Hmm. I think I've always been lucky in that regard, that I've always had really supportive friends surrounding me, um, that has made all the difference, I think. Mm -hmm. Because I hear this a lot from the women I work with, that no one around me understands what I'm trying to do even. I have no support. People are even sometimes belittling what they're trying to do and so on. And I always had, you know, those few really good friends who would support me through anything, who would, you know, reflect back to me when I doubt and they'd, they'd reflect back my strength to me or see what I could do when I couldn't see it. Because we always have those moments, you know, when we, when we lose sight of what we're going for and we lose faith in our ability to, to get there. And as... <laughs> Again, I'm super introverted. I don't find it easy to connect with people. So it tends to be, you know, I have super close friends. And then not that many other people around. You know, I don't have those acquaintances really. Maybe online because that's Mm -hmm. part of my work. Connect with people there as well. And they can't all be my close friends. So there's that for sure. But in, in real life, you know... I have a bunch of really close friends and that's that. So I've never really had to face a lot of that questioning. I also work for myself. I don't have a boss who questions me or coworkers questioning me. I I sort of created a life where I have a lot of space Mm -hmm. (laughs) to do it my way. That, That has been one of the reasons I started a business, you know, because I, I really need to, I really need to do it my way. I can't really function that well in that whole corporate 
uh, world. Uh, and, and so I have, and, and I have these friends and they've really taught me how necessary it is to have that. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, but it, you need some support. You really can't do it alone. That's another myth, you know, the lone genius, mm -hmm. the lone ranger, the whole thing where it's you against the world and, and you overcome everything and you know, your creative genius is 100% original. You're not inspired by anyone or anything. Mm -hmm. That's just bullshit. No one has ever done it alone, mm -hmm. truly. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of whether you <laughs> admit it or not, whether you recognize the input of others and the, the significance of others in your life and in your work. But I, I can see that and I like the more my own work in the world evolves the more i focus on this aspect of it actually the community aspect of it making sure we have solid support surrounding us on this journey that is often what is lacking for many women when it comes to your creativity and how you've walked it out in your day-to-day -day life what are you the most proud of and what do you hope your girls will learn from watching you and other men and women in their lives yeah Oh gosh, there's so much that that I do because I want to create more space and more opportunities for them because I have two daughters and uh, you know, looking back at what it was like for me to grow up 30 or 40 years ago and then again looking back what it was when my mother grew up and, and you know, another generation back. They are growing up in a different world from the one that I had. And their daughters, if they ever have any, again, will have another world different from the one that we are inhabiting right now. And that's the whole point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. My world is different from that of my mother's because there was a lot of people, many women, who fought for those changes, you know, who, who did all that uncomfortable, difficult, demanding work so that we could have a little, little bit more space. And that's what I want for my daughters as well. I'm willing to do a lot of uncomfortable things for them to have more space than I had and for their daughters in turn, if they have any. And for the mothers, there'll be two boys and the kind yep. and, and what their boys would learn by having that space. And for sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. In your book, The Creative Doer, you write, as a rule, women consistently underestimate their abilities, whereas men overestimate theirs, even when in reality, their actual performance does not differ in quality or quantity. Women are also less likely to take risks in their work life. That's on page 16. And so why do you think this is so? We've talked a, you've talked about and touched on a lot of these things, yeah. um, but this I think is just um, so fascinating that women underestimate, men overestimate when their skills and abilities in every way when they're being compared are the same. Yeah. And women 
are it, like you were saying, the data is that they take less risks also in their work life. Yeah. Yes, because we are encouraged from such an early age as girls to be perfect, you know, to be pretty, to not make mistakes, to be good girls, to provide the right answer in school. Those are the things that are encouraged and rewarded in girls. Whereas boys are encouraged to some extent to, to do that as well, to give the right answer and everything. But they are also encouraged to be daring, to go for it, to just have a go, to play, you know, to try, to, get, to take a chance, to be bold. Mm. And of course, that will shape you in all the ways. It's also a fact that a girl who takes up space, you know, and acts assertive, is judged differently and harder than a boy who acts the same way. That's a fact. Yeah, you don't know how many studies they've done on that. So it takes, like, it takes a lot more guts for a woman to go for it or to just, you know, have a try. She has a lot more to lose. She really does, like literally. And, you know, this is important, I think, because... For a long time, uh, the narrative has been something like, you know, we need to encourage girls to be more like men and, you know, be more bold and, and go girl and yeah, all of that. And I don't really think that, I don't really think that's the solution at all. I don't think we should make girls be more like boys and then everything will be fine, you know, if just girls could be a bit more confident. I don't think that's the solution at all. I actually, I think we need to meet somewhere in the middle, actually, and slightly towards the girl's side. Uh, taking risks can be good, you know, but measured risks, not recklessness that we so often see. And, and, and so on. There, there are so many examples. And I think this is really important because we put a lot of pressure on girls who are already under so much pressure to like they grew up like this they are shaped like this they are, are encouraged to be like this and then when that doesn't really work out in real life because workplaces aren't shaped to meet their way of being or their their needs then it's like we put it on them as well to change Oh, if you could just be more confident, if you can just sort of be a bit more bold and be a bit more like the guys over here, then... But we know for a fact that when a girl tries to do that, she's judged as not as bold and as assertive, but as bitchy mm -hmm. and too much and too loud and too, you know. So I really think we need to take a few steps back and have a look at, first of all, what is causing these discrepancies. I don't think it's biology. I really don't. Um, and then secondly, what are the traits and the qualities that we really value in our culture? What is it about us wanting everyone to be bold and risk-taking? What kind of society would that shape? 
maybe we should, you know, try to strive for a bit of more balance there. When we see young girls, when we see women uh, stepping out and kind of walking out their gifts, how as like as uh, women ourselves, how what is the best way that you see to support and encourage and cheer these women on to walk out who they are, not who they think they're supposed to be? Right. As other women? Yeah, as, as women. Yeah, yeah. I think the most important thing, and this needs to start really early, is to encourage exploration rather than being right. That is a tricky one because our whole school system is built upon giving the right answers and then getting the good grade, you know? So school, in a sense, teaches us not to be creative or take risks or show in any way that we we don't know or that we are in the process of learning, which can be quite messy at times. We're just supposed to hand over the finished result or finished answer. Um, So there's something about exploring. There's something about removing as much judgment as possible. And that actually includes, you know, the, the positive judgments that we tend to give girls in particular relating to their physical appearance but also you know when when a kid hands over their drawing to you and that first response is to say oh this is so nice it's so lovely it's beautiful Uh, but what happens then you know is that we teach the kid that that is important, first of all, and that is what we see in the painting or in the drawing, that whether it's beautiful or not. Whereas the kid, at least early on, they don't come to us to learn whether this painting is beautiful or not. They come to us to show what they have created, mm-hmm. to show what happened when they put the, the pencil to the paper. And we can explore that with them. You know, we could say, wow, what happened here? This color here is so intense, you know, or look at these shapes up here. What was that about? Tell me what you, you know, and encourage just like, it's not good or bad. It's not a performance. It's just an exploration. What happens when we do that? That's the really good question. What happens if we try this over here? Or what happens if we do it like this instead? What kind of results do we get then? To encourage that trial and error process that is so, so important. And most of us have not been encouraged that way when we grew up. Most of the kids growing up now aren't encouraged that way. So we sort of have to reclaim it as adult women And we can support each other in doing that as good friends, as part of community of of peers or or, or like-minded people. We can support each other in sharing the process and not just the result. 
in inviting input, inviting a reader into a not finished draft, for example, instead of waiting until you've perfected it. Uh, just sharing the process and it doesn't even have to be judged. We don't have to ask for input. It can just be sharing. Mm. This is where I'm at right now. It's really messy. Oh my God, I'm feeling all of this. And we can just mirror that. Just like we don't say, oh, the drawing is beautiful or it's ugly. We, we don't have to, you know, give our judgment as soon as someone shares something with us. We can just mirror that. Wow. I really, I, I can really feel how, how confusing this is for you or how intense it is for you. I can understand that you're really frightened here. You're really courageous for showing this to us. I feel honored mm -hmm. to, to see it. And wow, I can really see how this is evolving since the last time you showed us. You're really going all in with this exploration. There are so many things we can say, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with judgment, doesn't have anything to do with good or bad. Because honestly, good or bad, we have no idea usually until very late in the process if something is good or bad. And to even get to that point, we need that space free from judgment usually i mean the worst judge is in our head because we've internalized it but it's certainly helpful to have people around you who support you and cheer you on without judging what you're actually doing what you're actually creating so I, think I love these yeah i love these suggestions because um i think of all of the communities i even lead that share art and yeah. the classes and I think of how often maybe somebody puts it out there and maybe people don't know what to say and if they can't say it's amazing and they don't want to say I don't think it's a I don't think it's amazing or I don't like it so people say nothing which gives a right. very clear that gives a clear message also mm -hmm. right and so wouldn't this be such a beautiful thing for us to practice all the time um, to, to be noticing. It's really yeah. just saying, I notice. I notice that you showed up. I notice that you shared. I notice that you're working. I know that you're putting down marks or whatever it is that you're doing that we can get away from that. It's wonderful or it's not. That there's, mm -hmm. think of all that room in between those two ends. I mean, there, like, that is, that's exactly. light. That's everything in between the two. Oh. Well, we are both creative entrepreneurs and mothers, and one of the most consistent questions I get is how I balance our business and motherhood. My husband has never received this question regarding balancing the business and his role as a father. And one of the most consistent concerns I get um, is how uh, building a business uh, that's been successful, uh, worrying or concerned that it's um, impacted my, my job as a mother. Um, this is also not anything that my husband has ever been asked about. And I feel like this is getting better, but what are your thoughts on why we hear this? And at least for me, I most often hear this from other women. Sure. And I, like, I don't think there's any mystery to this question at all. It's just proof that we've got some ways to go yet. This is where we're at. That question mm -hmm. is the proof of it. Mm-hmm. 
According to our cultural narrative, women still don't fully belong in the public space and in the workplace and so on. We can be there, but it's conditional. Only if we also fulfill the other duties, the traditionally, the duties that are traditionally assigned to women, such as the children and, and the home and, and all of that, the cooking, all of it. You know? So we can be in the workspace, we can have the career, we can have the business, but only if we also fulfill those other duties. Hence that stubborn question. It's like we need to make sure. Okay, you're out here being successful, but what about that? Mm-hmm. I don't even think it's, it's conscious mm-hmm. for many people who ask that question. It's just that we haven't gotten further, actually. A lot of people would have it that we are almost, you know, it's almost equal now or it's almost like there's no difference for men and for women in the workplace or there's no, there can be equal parenting and men have as much right and space in the parenting as women and so on. And in theory, maybe, but actually, no, no. That question is proof. There are lots of other questions like it that show us so clearly. And again, like I don't think the path to our collective freedom is that we, we as women try to enter these spaces and be more like men, you know, adopt the behaviors and values that, that rules these places traditionally. First of all, it doesn't really work. We can be good men, you know, within quotation marks, but we still aren't given the same privilege, the recognition or the pay for that matter. So I think our collective freedom lies in, you know, again, moving towards the middle. Men adopting more of the behavior and priorities and values that women have traditionally held. The men move more towards caretaking, responsibility for home and and children and, and life really and not that we switch roles but rather that you know the walls between those two roles mm-hmm. gets to dissolve you know so that we get rid of this binary structure because honestly i don't believe in it there's a whole lot of people who don't fit here when there's just two roles to pick from so to speak there's a different ebb and flow. There's a different way things can look, but mm-hmm. it is, um, it's relearning too. I think it is, it is definitely, even when you wholeheartedly go into it wanting to relearn, it yeah. takes time. Yeah. Yes, because we've internalized it. And, and I mean, that's the answer to, to your question as well. Uh, why this question so often come from women. Because we have internalized these rules, these unwritten rules and these expectations and these judgments as well. And, and like women are upholding patriarchal structures as much as men often. Maybe not as much as men, but often. There are so many things I have to say no to, so I can say yes to the most wonderful things I want in our life. What are some things you have had to say no to and probably beautiful beautiful things so you can say yes to others and what are some of the best yeses you have answered to recently 
Mm. <laughs> That's a good question. No is is such an important word, isn't it? It's it's like the secret password or something. <laughs> when you learn to begin to say no to things in your life, that's when you can really begin to create space for the things that matters the most. And gosh, I, I, I feel like I say no to most of the things. <laughs> there are so few things that actually fits into a life. If you want that life to, to also have some ease and space and, and you know, room for something other than just work and, and family, perhaps. I feel like it's, I spend a lot of my time and energy on my work. And then I have two daughters, like I said, and I spend most of the rest of it on them. And then I also do want to create space for the things that, that nourish me that allows me to create again from that overflow that I talked about. And by now I'm 43 now and I, I feel like I know pretty well what those things are. They have to do with friendship and being in nature and, and time alone when I can find it, which is not really <laughs> nearly as often as I would like, but still. And, and, most, almost all the rest is a no, right now at least. Mm -hmm. You know, I said no to the big career in the city because I know I needed to live in a quiet place near nature to, to, uh, to feel really good and healthy and, and grounded in my life. And I know I want to spend a lot of time with my children because, you know, they'll be grown and gone in a while. And I know I want to spend all this time on my work because that's, you know, that's my creative expression. That's my way of being and dreaming a better world into being. So those are the things I go for. And, you know, that's one thing. We get told that we can have everything. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can't. And I know for sure that we can't have everything at once. You know, there are seasons in life as well. And I, tend, I try to remind myself of that when I feel like frustrated because I can't do this or that right now in my life. And I know that, you know, in 10 years, my life will be drastically different. I will have more space because then my children will need me less and I'll likely <laughs> miss that then. Mm -hmm. But then I'll have space for to bring in something else, you know, to say yes to something that I right now need to say no to. But I prioritize fiercely in order to make space for these few things that really, really matter. You live in the countryside in Sweden. How is nature a daily and important part of how you take care of yourself, enrich your writings, and connect with this world? Mm, yes, it's... It, it matters so much for me. I tend to be a lot in my head. Uh, I have, I, I really need to be intentional about grounding myself, about getting down from here into my body, into being present 
you know, in the moment and, and you know, live my life as a full human being, not just as a walking head. <laughs> so nature is the one thing that, that really helps me with that. I really understood that now as I've returned from the city and I live in a place where I have easy access where I can just step outside into the forest and I can just step outside to the lake. And it does something, you know, it's a very concrete effect for me. It does something with my sense of embodiment, you know, with my sense of... um, belonging to this world almost because I, I it's i'd say that nature is my church and maybe that that is how i like the closest thing i have this relationship to to the earth as something divine i do as where i come from and where i'll return to and when I walk in the forest or, or by the lake, I, I'm reminded of that. It's like I, I come into my right place in the bigger scheme of things. And from there, I create differently, more truthfully and, and better things, I think. I guess for other people that could be, you know, dancing or, or meditating or we all have our ways to, to connect with that, with that deeper truth and to, to stay present and embodied and so on. But being in nature is definitely that for me. And being around animals as well. I'd love to close with one last question. If you were not an artist, and author, what would your alternative career choice be? <laughs> well, it relates to, to the previous question, actually. I think I'd be a forester. I'd be in the forest. I'd work with the forest. I'd still write, you know. I'd always write. (laughs) But I could be happy tending to. I'm being a steward of the land, really. I've always been very engaged in, in environmental issues all my life. And I read a lot as I do, and uh, I know that the answer to climate change, a big part of it is found in the forest and in, in the soil, and the challenge for human beings is, a way to, is to find a way to steward the land rather than um, just extracting and um, ravaging it basically, in cooperating with it, in understanding and and responding to the natural law of how things actually work on this planet, rather than trying to make our own laws and so on, rather than putting ourselves above everything. And that I could definitely see being my life's work as well, you know, being an advocate for that, that way of, of uh, tending to the earth. And I mean, why not? maybe that isn't a, a different life. Maybe that, that could have some space in this life as well. I'm just 43, you know. I feel like I'm just getting started yeah. <laughs> with my work. I honestly do. I feel like my best work is ahead of me. 
these are the most powerful years, I think, for most women from 40 and onwards. That's not what we've been taught again. It's like women are made invisible and insignificant as we age. Whereas in reality, I actually think we grow into our mm -hmm. full power as we age. This is the time in our lives when we just, we have no more fucks to give. Mm -hmm. Excuse the swear word, but we don't have patience with the bullshit anymore. We don't have as much to lose, so we can be more truthful. We can give ourselves more space. I think the I think sooner, too, and like what you're saying, the sooner that you look, who am I? What are my gifts? Am I honoring these parts of my life? What kind of life do I want? Um, what does success really mean to me? It yeah. means also like when you are 60 or you're 70, you're not thinking, oh, my gosh, who am I? Um, <laughs> Right. And that's okay. I mean, if you're listening and you say, well, that's me, that's okay. You can start asking, answering those questions for yourself right now. But um, if you're 20s and your 30s or your 40s, um, the sooner we can ask ourselves those things, the, the sooner, like when, I, when you're telling me that you think your best years are, are to come, I believe that. Um, I believe that just by listening to you and I think about myself that um, – there are seasons for things and there's things I cannot do now. And it's not that I cannot as I choose not to because there's other roles in my life that matter too. But, but it makes me think that I'm going to hit the ground running, right? Yeah. That there's going to be different seasons um, <laughs> that I'm going to be excited when that time comes too. Yeah. And so, but I love, Oh, I I've loved our talk so much. Would you please tell our listeners where they can find you and learn more about your book, your classes, um, and just how to connect with you? Yeah, sure. Well, there's my website, which is just annalovind.com. Same thing on Instagram, just my name, Anna Lovind. You'll find me there. That's the only social media platform I'm active on, really. And on my website and on Instagram, you can find out everything about the one course and community that I am offering these days, which is called The Creative Doer, which is a community for women and non-binary people and uh, to get together and support each other and learn about the creative process from, you know, going from dreaming to doing, but in a way that is sustainable and, and rooted in, in our reality, just as we've been talking about today. So. That's my Anna, work. No, thank you so much. Thanks for taking time. Um, thank you for saying yes to this. <laughs> and um, it has been just a beautiful time of talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this conversation so much. I created a free resource and mini workbook just for you. 10 Tips to Take Back the Peace for a More Beautiful Life. A free ebook if you're looking for some rest in your day-to-day -day like I was. Go to jeanoliver.com slash 10 tips to get your free resource. Creativity is calling. Become the artist you have dreamed to be. After the podcast, meet me over at jeanoliver.com where you will find art, business, and lifestyle online courses. We have over 150 courses from teachers around the world. Thank you for joining me this week. Don't forget to let us know what you thought of this week's podcast and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing. 
Thanks for listening and see you next time.